as you can see before me, we will be partaking in the uh, Lord's Supper this morning. I read a, a story about a little girl who attended big church for the very first time on a Sunday morning when the congregation was taking part in Lord's Supper. When the uh, elements were served, the little girl was overheard saying to her mother in a loud whisper, the snacks we get in children's church are much better. And we get a lot more juice. I bet the snacks were better in children's church. But with that said, obviously, the little girl didn't understand the significance of the Lord's Supper. Probably because she was not taught. Now, you have been taught about it. But this morning, it's my intent to take you deeper into the Lord's Supper than you may be familiar with. And to begin, I need to take you back to where it all started. To its roots. To Egypt. As you might remember, when Joseph, the son of Jacob, was the number two man in all of Egypt, the Jews left the promised land because there was a a severe drought. And they moved to Egypt. Under the care and protection of Joseph, they flourished. But Joseph would later die. And eventually the Jews would become the slaves of Pharaoh. For 400 years, the Jews longed to return to the Promised Land. But they couldn't. They were held in bitter bondage until, when the time was right... God raised up Moses to deliver a message to Pharaoh. Let my people go. Well, as you know, Pharaoh wouldn't listen. And God used the hardness of Pharaoh's heart to reveal to everyone That the God of Moses was the one true God amongst a land full of false gods. So God began to bring plagues upon the Egyptians, but Pharaoh still would not budge. Then at last... There came the judgment of the firstborn. 
the tenth plague. The last plague in God's rescue plan to deliver His people. And in anticipation of this last plague, a plague that would prompt a quick exodus from Egypt, the Jews were told to prepare. And this is what they did. On the tenth day of the first month of the Hebrew calendar, that would be the tenth of Nisan, each Jewish household was to find and take an unblemished lamb, a male lamb, a year old, and it was to live with the family for four days until the 14th day of the month, the 14th of Nisan. In this way, the lamb became part of the family, so to speak. And by the time it was killed on the 14th, it was cherished and also mourned by the family. After the lamb was killed at sunset, God told Moses to instruct the people, take the blood of the lamb and spread the blood on the top and on the sides of the doorway of their houses. Why? Because God was sending the angel of death to the land of Egypt that very night. And whenever the, the angel saw the blood of the lamb applied to the doorway, because those in the household believed God's word and obeyed his command, the angel would skip over that house and there would be no death. God's judgment would pass over them. But when there was no blood applied to the doorway due to the failure of those in the house to trust and obey God, rest assured, death would visit that home. Now, God also gave the Jews instructions about eating during this special event. On the 14th, after the blood of the lamb was applied to the doorway, the lamb was to be roasted and eaten that same night. And anything left over was to be burned in fire. They were also to eat bitter herbs to symbolize their bondage and slavery. And they were to eat unleavened bread because they would not have enough time to make bread the normal way, using yeast and letting it rise. That would take too much time, because they would have to leave Egypt in a haste. Well, just as God promised, the angel of death passed over Egypt. And the land was filled with the bodies of the firstborn and the firstborn of the herds and flocks. 
It must have been a a devastating and gut-wrenching experience. And in response to this tenth and final plague, Pharaoh let the Jews go. So they packed up in haste and began their exodus back to the promised land with the command by God to observe the Passover celebration each and every year as a continual reminder of their deliverance by God from their slavery and bondage in Egypt. That's the background. So now let's move forward. Let's fast forward some 1,400 years to Jerusalem where thousands upon thousands, maybe as many as two million devout Jews from all over the world have gathered together in the holy city for the annual Passover celebration. It's a massive event. And it's also a very relevant event. For once again, the Jews find themselves under the thumb of a foreign empire. Not the Egyptians, but this time, the Romans. Now, if you recall... Jesus and his disciples were in the area for the celebration. And the disciples asked Jesus where they would be eating the Passover meal because preparation was necessary. And if you remember, Jesus told Peter and John to go on ahead into Jerusalem to look for a man carrying a pitcher of water, which would really stand out because that was typically a job reserved for a woman. Well, sure enough, just as Jesus had said, Peter and John find a man carrying a pitcher of water. And the man leads them to a large unfurnished upper room where Peter and John get busy making preparations to eat the Passover meal by obtaining an approved lamb, having it slain by the priests at the temple, and then roasting it for the meal. They would also get the bitter herbs, a sauce, made from a a fruit and nut mixture, unleavened bread, and red wine typically diluted with water. That seems like a lot of stuff for two men to do without a woman coming to their rescue. But the Passover meal could only be eaten between sunset and and midnight. So Peter and John 
had some time to get things ready. In the Gospels, we are told that it was evening. Jesus came with his disciples to the upper room to partake of the Passover meal. And it's here that I need to walk you through what was involved in this special meal. This last Passover meal observed by Jesus. And I will try to do so, I will try, by using various portions from the Gospels as well as referring to Jewish sources. According to ancient Jewish oral law, that was later written down, there is an order, a sequence of steps to be observed when partaking the Passover meal. Now, as I was preparing for this message, in my studies, I, I found a few variations from Jewish sources in how this meal was to be observed. But with that said, I think I found enough common ground to capture the essence of it for you. Okay? The Passover meal, which is also called a Seder, begins with a blessing for the meal similar to a blessing we might give before eating. But when this blessing is given, it's done by the head of the household who holds a cup of wine. The first of four cups of red wine, which coincide with four promises related to the Passover given by God to His people in Egypt. They are found in Exodus chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. Are they on the board? And they read, <clears throat> Say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will deliver you from their bondage. I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgment. Then I will take you for my people. And I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. In this passage, there are four promises made by God. And to symbolize these promises, there are four cups of red wine. And this first cup 
of wine is called the cup of sanctification. Okay? The cup of sanctification. Sanctification means to be set apart. And this first cup is given this name because God promised His people, I will bring you out. I will bring you out. After the blessing and the drinking of the first cup, there is a ritual washing of hands symbolizing the need for spiritual cleansing and holiness. And it also serves a practical purpose for if you know, they ate with their hands. So in a Jewish household, at this point in the meal, they would take a vegetable, like lettuce or maybe a potato, and they would dip it in salt water. Salt water representing the tears shed during their bondage. And according to passages found in Exodus and in Deuteronomy, a child would then ask, why do we do this? Why are we doing this? And that would prompt the head of the household to tell the Passover story. Now, I'm not aware of any children being in the upper room. But I suspect Jesus would have told the story and explained its meaning to His disciples. And then they would sing from the Psalms. Likely Psalm 113 and Psalm 114. And then they would drink from the second cup of wine. Called the cup of deliverance. The cup of deliverance. For God said to His people, I will deliver you from their bondage. From the bondage of the Egyptians. With the second cup of wine consumed, we come to the bread on the table. And we need to talk about the bread for a moment. In a Jewish household, there would be three sheets of unleavened bread provided for the Passover meal, kept in a cloth bag with three compartments, which keeps the bread together and yet, at the same time, keeps the sheets separated. Traditionally, for the Sabbath and other festivals, only two Sheets of bread are used as a reminder of the double portion of manna the Jews gathered before their day of rest in the wilderness. But for the Passover meal, a third sheet of bread is added. And for the Jew, these three sheets of bread could be symbolic of any number of of things. For example, for some, it represents the three cakes 
that Sarah baked for Abraham when he was showing hospitality to the angelic visitors. For others, it might represent three categories of Jews that make up the Jewish people. It could also represent the three patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So there are various views by the Jews as to the symbolism of these three sheets of bread. Now, according to Jewish tradition, and this is interesting, the middle sheet of bread, the second sheet, is removed from the bag and broken in two. One half is shared at the table, while the other half is wrapped in a napkin and hidden somewhere in the room. Only to be found later and brought back to the table at the end of the meal to be shared like a dessert. Why is it broken? For the Jew, it is a symbol of of brokenness and being incomplete. Broken and incomplete until God fulfills His promises to them. Obviously, with that bit of information, from a Christian perspective, we might conclude that the three sheets of bread actually represent the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the middle sheet of bread that is broken represents the body of Jesus. I can totally see that connection from a Christian perspective. However, this was a a Jewish meal. And likely they saw it very differently. So at this point in the meal, the middle sheet of bread is broken from the bag and half of it is shared at the table. With bread in hand, they will fold bitter herbs into it, like a sandwich. Got the picture? They will fold bitter herbs into it like a sandwich and then dip it into the bowl containing the stewed fruit mixture. And I think it's right here. And I could be wrong. But I think it's right here that Jesus becomes troubled and reveals he will be betrayed. In Matthew 26, beginning with verse 21, we are told, 
Truly I say to you that one of you will betray me. Being deeply grieved, they each one began to say to him, Surely not I, Lord. And he answered, He who dipped his hand with me in the bowl is the one who will betray me. The Son of Man is to go, just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. And Judas, who was betraying him, said, Surely it is not I, Rabbi. Jesus said to him, You have said it yourself. Have you ever enjoyed a family meal and then something is said that just ruins the moment? This is what happens here. They are reclining at the table when Jesus says, One of you will betray me. The disciples had have heard many surprising things from Jesus, but certainly this one has to take the cake. And each disciple went to Jesus to ask if he was the betrayer. Jesus knew it was Judas. But Jesus did not publicly single him out. And the disciples don't suspect Judas either. Because he was the treasurer. The one you would trust the most. All Jesus would say publicly was it was one of the twelve who dipped his hand with me in the bowl. There are a couple of things I want to point out before we move on. This is one of those paradoxes in the Bible because it reveals the sovereignty of God and also the free will of man at the same time. Judas, like any rejecter of Christ, acts on his own motives, acts on his own choices, acts on his own free will. Judas operates from his own greed and his own selfishness, and he betrays Jesus. Yet everything Judas does is fit by God into his plan so that Judas plays a crucial role in the death of Christ. Just as God designed. Judas will never be able to make the claim to God that he was simply fulfilling prophecy. Judas was not driven by God to betray Jesus. He chose to do so. 
And yet, God simply used that choice for His divine purpose. Now, there's another point I want to make before we move on. Don't make the mistake in believing that Jesus did not love Judas. Jesus loved Judas just as much as he loved the others. But Judas rejected God's love. And he did not recognize Jesus as Lord. If you noticed in our passage, when the disciples questioned Jesus about the betrayal, after searching their own hearts, each one asked, Surely not I, Lord. But when Judas asked his question, it was, Surely not I, Rabbi. Even then, Judas only recognized Jesus as a teacher, not as the Lord. Now, according to the Gospel of John, chapter 13, Judas leaves the upper room to get his money and to tell the religious leaders where they can find Jesus later in the garden that evening. So only the eleven remain. And Jesus continues with the Passover meal. And it's time for the main course, the roasted lamb. Jesus would have distributed portions of the lamb to his disciples along with the other sheets of unleavened bread. And when the main course was finished... It's time for dessert. And that brings us to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14, beginning with verse 22. And I need to set this up. In a Jewish household, after the lamb has been eaten, the portion of bread that had been hidden, or maybe Jesus just set it aside, it's brought back to the table. A blessing is given by the head of the household, and the bread is broken, and it's shared, followed by the third cup of wine. It's here that Jesus adds a whole new dimension to the meal. It becomes something new and different. It becomes what we call the Lord's Supper. So let's pick up with verse 22. While they were eating, he took some bread. And after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take it. This is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, 
He gave it to them and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will never drink, I will never again drink from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. We are told that Jesus takes the bread, he breaks it. And he shares it with his disciples. Jesus tells them, this bread represents my body. Then he takes the cup of wine. This is the third cup. Called the cup of redemption. Or the cup of blessing. And it's this cup that Jesus uses for the Lord's Supper. It's interesting that this cup coincides with the third promise God made to His people found in the last portion of Exodus chapter 6, verse 6, which says, I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgment. Do you get the mental picture I get in that verse? This cup of redemption, which represents the blood of Jesus, is poured out for the redemption of many with outstretched arms on a cross so that God's great judgment would fall upon His Son and pass over those who place their faith in Jesus Christ. It's a great picture. A family was, excuse me, was casually driving around sightseeing on their vacation. It was a warm, clear summer day and they were enjoying the breeze coming through the rolled down windows of their car. Soon the peaceful drive was interrupted when a bee flew through the open windows and buzzed around the car. A young girl who was allergic to bee stings squirmed and shrieked as the bee flew close to her. She called out, Daddy, Daddy, it's a bee, it's going to sting me. The father quickly pulled the car over and began trying to get the bee out of the car. Unable to do so and not wanting to anger the bee into accidentally stinging his daughter, he cornered the bee against the windshield. Having the bee trapped, he grasped the bee in his hand and waited for the inevitable sting. Feeling the sharp pain of the sting, he opened his hand and released the bee out the window. The little girl began panicking again. Daddy, it's going to fly back here again and sting me. 
the father gently responded, No, honey, he can't sting you now. Look at my hand. In his hand was the bee's stinger. The God who acted in history to deliver His people from Egypt has also acted in history to deliver you and me from the sting of spiritual death and eternal separation from God. The bread and the wine in the Lord's Supper are powerful symbols that cause us to remember that Jesus really did suffer and die for you and for me. The Lord's Supper is all about remembrance. And if you notice, Jesus only gives the bread and the wine to remember Him by. Bitter herbs are not taken in the Lord's Supper because Christ has removed the bitterness from the bondage of sin. Likewise, we do not serve lamb at this table because Jesus fulfilled that role. Jesus was the spotless Lamb of God. The Lamb that God had sent to serve as the once and for all substitute for us. He took our place. We're also told in verse 26, they sang one last hymn, which according to Jewish tradition was probably Psalm 118. And then they walked to the Mount of Olives, to the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, Pastor, you mentioned there were four cups of wine. Did they drink the fourth cup? There is a lot of speculation about that. But after drinking the third cup, Jesus said this in Matthew 26, verse 29. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So there is a fourth cup of wine called the cup of of restoration or the cup of presence. For God said in Exodus chapter 6, verse 7, then I will take you for my people and I will be your God. It is this last cup that speaks of the Lord's return. It speaks of the time when the Lord's earthly kingdom will be fully restored. And it's then that Jesus said He will drink from this cup with His people. In essence, Jesus has turned the fourth cup into a pledge. It's a pledge. And as a believer, it prompts us to look forward to this last cup at the marriage supper of the Lamb. So the Lord's Supper looks backwards to the past 
remembering the finished work of Jesus, but it also causes us to look forward in joy and in hope when we will sit down with Him and share that fourth cup. The cup of restoration. The cup of His presence. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this this time in Your Word. Thank You for these symbols that You have given us to remember what You have done for us. May You be honored and glorified as we partake this morning. Thank You for Your sacrifice. Thank You for loving us so much. Far far beyond I can comprehend, but loving us to the point that You, Father, would give Your Son in our place to a people who were rebellious against You. Thank You for who You are and what You have done. May You be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name, Amen. I would like the servers to come on up. Was there another cup? There was another cup. Was it a cup of wine? No. It was a cup of wrath. A cup of God's fury. Moments after sharing the Lord's Supper with His disciples, if you recall, Jesus would be in the garden. And He went off to pray by Himself. Remember his prayer? Lord, Father, take this cup from me. It was a cup of God's fury and wrath. Full wrath. That was reserved for you and for me. And Jesus said, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. He knew what it entailed. He knew exactly what was involved. If there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. But Jesus knew. There was no other way. He was the only one who was worthy to take the cup. And speaking of worthiness, let's speak for a moment about that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul talks about the Lord's Supper quite extensively. And he says that we should not take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. Those words by Paul have been so misunderstood and so misapplied. And I want to set the record straight for you this morning. 
Okay? Paul was not talking about our worthiness. Because the truth of the matter is, none of us are worthy. Only because of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ can we partake of the Lord's Supper. It has nothing to do with your worthiness. The truth of the matter is, if that was the case, I would be recollecting all your cups right now. None of us could take it if it depended on my or your worthiness. Right? What was Paul talking about then? People had misunderstood the reason for the Lord's Supper and misapplied it and had turned it into something that was divisive in this Corinthian church. And to them it became a a symbol of self-righteousness and selfishness. And they were pushing people away from the gospel because of how they were treating the Lord's Supper. How can you be self-righteous and selfish when this represents the Lord's humility and selflessness? The worthiness that Paul was talking about was not my worthiness. It was how we treat this ordinance. That's what Paul was talking about. We need to see it for what it is. It reminds us of what Jesus did for us. There is no room for self-righteousness or arrogance or, or self selfishness in here, in this room. That's what this reminds us. He did it all. In the upper room, Jesus took the bread, the bread that had been broken. He shared it with His disciples. He said, this is my body. This is my body. It's a symbol. And as you as as you eat of it, guys, would you remember what I did? Would you remember what it cost me? Because it cost me everything. For you. He told his disciples to eat. May we do likewise. And then Jesus took the cup. This would have been the third cup. The third cup. The cup of redemption. The cup of redemption. Whereby we may be made right with God. Redeemed. What's what's redeemed mean? Paid for. We have been bought and paid for with a high price. It represents a new covenant. We are made right with God because of what He did. 
Not because of my righteousness. Not at all. Only because of what Christ did. That's what we are told to remember. He told his disciples to drink. May we do likewise. I know we're a little out of order this morning, but that's fine. I hope this morning was was meaningful to you and it it shed some light on a on a few things and I hope I got it uh, right to the to because <laughs> it was a little confusing. But maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and you would admit you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I would love to share him with you. So that what we just did really is meaningful. Maybe you're looking for a church home. A place to call home. We would love to have you. Or maybe there's something else you need prayer for. I would love to pray with you as well. However the Lord moves you, I would just ask that you'd respond in obedience. Let me close in, uh, in prayer. I'll pray for our uh, offering and also for fellowship. And also, uh, next week, we'll be starting in our series through 1 John. So, just for some homework, if you want to read uh, the first four verses in 1 John, uh, feel free to do so. Get you caught up. Anyway, let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this time together. I pray, Lord God, that it was, uh, was meaningful to you and also meaningful for the, uh, those here. May you be honored and glorified, Father. I thank you, Lord God, for the way you have richly blessed us. You are so good. Thank you, Lord God, for uh, giving us the opportunity to, to give back to you what you have richly blessed us with. Father, bless the gift. Bless the giver. Help us, Lord God, as a, as a church to use your money wisely. And the Father, for our fellowship afterwards. Father, I just pray that it would just be a, a, a meaningful time, a time where connections are made. Lord God, I just pray we would just love on one another. Bless the food. Bless those who have brought and prepared food. And Lord God, I just thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen.